Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. Uh, We have been in this series on the Holy Spirit, and what I believe that the Lord has put on my heart this morning is a commencement speech. A commencement speech. How many of you have ever graduated? Okay, if you don't, don't raise your hand, because if you didn't, people are going to be like, oh, they didn't raise their hand. But you know that when you go to a graduation, there is a commencement speaker. And that commencement speaker's purpose is to encourage you. It's to inspire you. It's to uh, challenge you and hopefully, uh, by any means, launch you into the next season of your life. And when I was preparing this sermon, what I felt like the Lord uh, put on my heart is that we need a commencement speech. We need to graduate into a new season of our lives. And that's going to be all about inspiration and encouragement. And so this morning, I hope to encourage and inspire you. And probably in the middle of the message, you will wonder, where's the encouragement coming? So just stay towards the end. But I want to talk to you um, just in, in an encouraging, inspiring way. And the scripture that God has put on my heart first to speak from is Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. I love this passage of scripture. Uh, as I was just putting things together, the Lord just put this up on, uh, just put this into my heart. And just giving you some background, Israel is in the middle of Babylonian captivity. Uh, they are, they were exiled, Babylon took them over, brought them into uh, Babylon and has taken them over. Now uh, Persia has conquered Babylon and nevertheless they're still under other uh, foreigners' control. And they've gotten favor though because the, the Persian king or emperor at the time granted them permission to go back to Israel and to rebuild the devastation, to rebuild the ruins, specifically rebuild the temple. And so Zechariah is a prophet. And um, there is a man named Zerubbabel, uh, not a common name these days, um, but Zerubbabel uh, was tasked with rebuilding the temple. And it was an overwhelming task. How is this going to happen? How is this going to get done? And so Zechariah is just with the Lord, or he's doing his, his God thing, spending time with God, and an angel appears to him and says, Zechariah, I want you to deliver words to Zerubbabel. I want you to tell him what I tell you to speak. See, he's overwhelmed by the effort that was required to rebuild, and I believe that often that's where we are. Listen, what I have found... To, to happen is that we get into situations, whether we say yes to them or they come our way. How many of you know that there are moments in our lives where we don't have the strength, willpower, might to overcome what we're facing? This is where Zerubbabel is at. Yeah, he's tasked with building the temple, but that does not mean that he knows within himself that he's got the ability to get it done. So this angel appears to Zechariah and says, I want you to deliver this 
uh, message to Zerubbabel. In verse 6 it says, Then the angel, he, said to Zechariah, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Tell him this, not by, say it with me, not by, nor by, but by my, says the Lord of hosts. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Now, that we're probably familiar with, but I love verse 7. The angel says, continue to say this to him. What are you, O great mountain? You got any opposition in your life? He says, tell Zerubbabel the obstacle that seems absolutely too big to overcome. Tell him what I'm saying. This is what the Lord is saying to Zerubbabel. What are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become a plain. I love that. You will become a plain. We can get overwhelmed by what's in front of us. But I want you to understand that it is not by your might or your power, but by his spirit, says the Lord. You know, I, I heard Bill Johnson say this. I love this quote. He said, the moment you begin to have victory is when you stop getting impressed by the size of your problem. Zerubbabel was overwhelmed by what was in front of him. God identified that. He said, you got what seems to be a mountain before you, but by my spirit, it will then become a plain. It will be leveled out before you. Not by might, nor by power, but listen, by his spirit, says the Lord. So what I want to talk to us this morning about is victory by his spirit. Victory by his spirit. Not by might, nor by power, but by his spirit, says the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you once again that the prophetic things that were spoken centuries ago still apply to us today. That we can take words like this that were spoken to Zerubbabel and say, that's for me. And I'm standing in faith upon that truth manifesting in my life that you will be the same God to me as you were to him. So God, open up our ears and our hearts today to everything that you want to speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Let me tell you why I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this because I believe that all too often followers of Jesus accept an inferior fate for their lives. They just accept whatever comes their way. Well, I guess this is my lot. No, it's not. It's not your lot. Because when we read scripture, it's not for you. And we accept this fate in our lives, and we wonder, well, God, where are you? Where are you? And he's like, I'm right in the middle of it, 
but I want to bring you out of it because you were designed to walk victoriously, not over and over be a victim of circumstance and situation. And I don't know, there's this, this righteous indignation inside of me that says, that says for you and for me, when is enough enough? When do you finally get tired and say, I'm tired of accepting certain situations for what they are? See, there's whether or not you want that, let me tell you something. There's something intrinsically in every single individual that actually does not like to accept faith. Why? Because eternity was written in your heart. And because eternity was written in your heart, there's something intrinsically inside of you that longs for something better, that longs for something that is beyond the struggle. And so we have to understand that we were not designed for slavery, to sin. We're not designed to be constantly controlled by fear and anxiety and stress and worry. We're not designed for bondage. And here's the thing. This is what I have to acknowledge the elephant in the room. Your past failures and your losses are speaking really loud to you right now. But just because you've experienced a failure or a loss does not mean that God's will for your life has changed. Because it's not by might nor by power, but by his spirit declares the Lord. Listen to me, why did the angel want Zechariah to give this message to Zerubbabel? Because he needed to know something that we need to be reminded of this morning. Zerubbabel needed to know that there are certain trials, temptations, addictions, struggles, obstacles, attacks, spiritual battles, spiritual opposition, spiritual adversities that you and I will not overcome unless it is by the Holy Spirit alone. Because it's not by our might or our willpower or our ambition or our passion, our energy our, or our ability but sometimes it is only by his spirit. If you need to know why the Holy Spirit is needed today, because there are things that you don't have the power to overcome, and I don't have the power to overcome, and they are mountains before Zerubbabel's in the room that God says, this is the word of the Lord. By my spirit, it will become a plain. Listen to me. There are things in this life that are natural and are spiritual that are might and power and honestly are honestly no match for. But listen to me, because this is the good news. Those same things that your power and your might are no match for are no match for the spirit of the Lord. They are no match for the spirit of the Lord. See, let us be reminded this morning of moments in Scripture where biblical figures had, been with, had uh, dealt with opposition that their power, their might had not matched for, had no match for, and yet they were still able to be victorious because they knew what would win them the battles that they were facing. David is standing before a nine-foot-plus Goliath. That he, by every natural metric, 
was no match for. However, David knew where his help was coming from. I want you to hear what he says in 1 Samuel 17, 45. Then David said to the Philistine Goliath, he spoke to the opposition. Do you know your speaking matters? What you speak matters? Do you know that when you receive prophetic words today, after church today, that it's not enough to read them? you got to speak them out. Because there's life and death in the power of the tongue. So David is not just thinking this, he's speaking to his opposition. He says, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But listen to what David says. But I come to you. What is David saying? He's saying, listen, I know in this uh, situation, it's not going to be my might or power. But I come to you in the thing that is no match for you. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. Listen to me, because I want you to get this in your spirit. One of the things that David understood that we have got to get deep down into our hearts is that when the enemy of your soul picks a fight with you, he has ignorantly picked a fight with your God. He is taunting, Goliath was taunting the armies of the God of Israel, although he picked a fight with Israel. Do you have fear taunting you? Do you have failure taunting you? Do you have a health issue taunting you? A thorn in your side that you see you can't seem to get rid of? Do you have, do you have things in your life? Do you have addictions that are taunting you? They have picked a fight with your God. And it will not be by your might or your power, but by his spirit that you will be able to overcome it. See, what this means is that when he picks a fight with you, you're not fighting alone. It's by his spirit. This is why, listen, we cannot live our lives independent from our dire need for the power and the authority of the Holy Ghost. If there's anything that I've been reminded of as of late, it has been this, that the church, this is so good, that the church is not moving further away from the church of Acts, it's moving closer to it. Because the world in which we are coming to live in is going to demand that the church of Jesus Christ not live in its own might or power, but by his spirit. We are entering into an age in history where the presence of the Holy Spirit will not be merely a want, it will be a desperate need. For too long, the American church has been divided on who the Holy Spirit is and what he does today. And as a result, we have treated the Holy Spirit as an optional part of the Trinity. And the reason why this has happened is because our current culture, current culture has, prov has provided the church with a semblance of peace without persecution. One of the paradoxes of peace is that we get very comfortable and we begin to no longer live dependent on things that other situations would demand that we live dependent upon. I think scripture says there are birth pains. Like all we are, all we are in right now is birth pains. And there will come a moment 
this, this is funny to me. There will come a moment where denominations won't care about your personal opinions about the Holy Spirit. That is the fruit of the paradox of peace. That you can actually live where you don't need the Holy Spirit. No, we need them. We need him. And we are entering into a time where we will need him even more. It's just the reality of what's taking place. Because it's not by our might or our, or our power. See, one of the paradoxes of peace is that it affords the American Christian to live without a need for the Holy Spirit because we live in relative comfort. The truth is that the freedoms of this great nation have caused the church to relax. We've deceived ourselves into believing that we can continue to exist in our current culture by gimmicks, strategies, and tactics alone, and the church at large has often become more like a business instead of an embassy. And listen to me this morning. What makes us think that in the ages to come, the church will be victorious without the presence, power, and the authority of the Holy Spirit? As Charles Spurgeon once proclaimed to the masses, he said this, Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without wind. We are useless. We're useless. Why do we need the Holy Spirit today? Because we were designed by God to live in victory that Jesus purchased for us through his death on the cross and his glorious resurrection. Jesus conquered death so that we can reign victorious in life. And I believe that here's where we settle. We settle for the belief of the fact that we will be victorious after we pass on from here. But what about now? You know that song that's like, we're not going to take it. That's what I'm trying to incite in here. Why are you taking it? Why are you accepting every single poke and prod of the enemy to constantly pester and harass you? See, we, it's like, I feel like David that is walking in front of the Israelite army saying, is there not a cause? Are we just going to stand here knowing everything to be true and for the rest of our lives allow the enemy to just taunt us until we breathe our last breath? Or are we going to Believe God for what he has said, stand on it, and become a little bit more offensive in this battle that we're waging. Let me remind you of what Hebrews 10 says. We are not those who shrink back to destruction. Listen, there are certain trials, temptations, addictions, struggles, obstacles, spiritual attacks, Battles, adversaries that you and I will not overcome unless it is by the Holy Spirit. We cannot afford to go through any season of our life acting as if all we need is our power and our might. Because you and I know it won't be enough in certain situations. Have you gotten to the end of yourself yet? I want to show you what life looks like without the power of the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to Acts chapter 19. Acts 
told you this was going to be encouraging. We'll get there. You're like, ooh. In Acts chapter 19, Paul has finally made his way to Acts, or to Ephesus, sorry. Acts chapter 16, he actually was trying to go there, but Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit prevented him from coming. Now he is in Ephesus, and he's finally there. And in Acts chapter 16, or 19, we actually see some amazing things taking place. First and foremost, I just want to give you some background. Ephesus, this is according to uh, historical things, was once considered the most important Greek city in the Mediterranean region. So this was not just some town, okay? Uh, this was not a place you would pass through. This was a major epicenter of the Roman Empire. Its temple to the goddess Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Allison, don't sing the song. <laughs> the inside joke, sorry. I just took an inside joke and made it outside. My apologies. But here's a more important note to consider. Ephesus was a demonic stronghold. It was a place where much witchcraft and sorcery was being performed. Matter of fact, we actually see later in Acts chapter 19, verses 18 and 19, it says that many were getting saved and bringing their magic books into public spaces and burning them in front of everybody. And here's what's crazy, is that it says that as people were bringing this forward, and by the way, they were burning them because of Paul. They were burning them because the gospel had arrived on their doorstep something superior to what was taking place in the play in the in the space had arrived at their doorstep and they were burning the magic books the occult books the satanic books it actually i want you to get this figure it was those books valued they actually added them all up so evidently there was still a judas in the group <laughs> that was quite valuable um how much those worth it said it was 50 thousand pieces of silver which is the equivalent of 5.5 million dollars today now what does that tell us that tells us that that culture had a value for demonic practices these things were of high value and so this is an environment with a high level of spiritual activity and so in chapter 19 verse 11 it says God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Let me just stop here and say that God loves to increase the miracles he does in the enemy's camp. Because he loves to let the spiritual realm there know who really is in power. Verse 12, these are the miracles. So that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. So people are just showing up at Paul's house. He's writing an epistle. He gets a knock on the door. Someone comes in with a tissue and says, you mind if I touch you real, real quick with this? What for? Don't worry about it. You guys didn't get it. I, I'm saying that these handkerchiefs and aprons, it says they would literally just touch Paul and take these two people and there was this transfer of the anointing that was on Paul into the handkerchief in the apron. 
or, or, or whatever, and people's diseases and sicknesses would leave their bodies. And so this next section of verses is, is where I want to focus a lot of time. 13, but also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, in the New King James, adjure is not like a common English word, but what they're saying is this, I drive you out by Jesus whom Paul preaches. I drive you out, I, I, I cast you out by Jesus whom Paul preaches. In verse 14, seven sons of one man named Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And this is so powerful, I hope you get this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? I recognize Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? And verse 16 says, And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them and subdued all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Yikes. Verse 17 is interesting. It says, This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. I have to be honest with you, this passage of Scripture has been on my mind for two months. This, this Jesus I know Paul I know, but who are you? Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? I want you to understand something, and we might get into this a little bit more next week, but whether you believe in God or not, that's a question the enemy asks everybody. Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Let me show you a couple things that we see in this passage. Number one, simply put, this passage shows us what life looks like without the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. How many of you know that those seven sons of Sceva quickly found out that they were right in the middle of a situation that they had no might or power for? They had met a match. There was no might or power that they could provide to overcome this moment. That demon spoke up and said, I recognize Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Now, I want you to hear the exact meaning in the Greek of what that demon was speaking to them. This is so powerful. This is what he was saying. I have fully understood who Jesus is for a long time. And Paul's reputation has quickly grown with us. When he said, I recognize Jesus, I know about Trip. It was a demon. I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? Listen to me. This is what he was saying. I know about Jesus. I've known for him, about him for a long time. And Paul... Paul, we only know a little bit about because he's arrived. 
but who are you? The word no in the Greek here means Paul has grabbed our attention. Paul has been on our mind. We are focused on Paul. What that means is that these demons didn't know about Paul until Paul showed up and they started to pay close attention to him. He was on their radar. The local demonic realm was tuning into Paul. They were spying on him. They were doing surveillance on Paul. Can I say something right now? That is supposed to be what the spirit realm says about us. Uh-oh. Beth showed up. I'm not, I'm not familiar with her. But she's arrived. Pay close attention. That's what the spirit realm is supposed to stay, say about us. Jesus, I recognize. Paul, I know. But who are you? That was the most important thing that the demon said to him. Who are you? Now, this is what's amazing, is that when he asks that, the, the Greek verbs there are over and over again, which means that when these seven sons showed up and said, hey, we have a demon casting out business, Bring all your demon-possessed and oppressed to us, and we will set them free of the demons. That when they showed up and these demons started to manifest in these people, and they said, I adjure you by the Paul that Jesus preaches, their response was the same. Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Oh, I adjure you by... It's not working. It was like the seven brothers were in a row, like, your turn. I adjure you by Paul that Jesus preaches. Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? I couldn't do it. I adjure you by... It was over and over and over again, the demons were letting him know, and them know, Jesus I know, Paul I know, who are you? What they were really saying was, but who do you think you are? We know nothing about you. Listen to me this morning. We don't recognize you or your authority at all. What the demons were saying was this. You stepped into a ring and picked a fight with an adversary that you have no business fighting. Who do you think you are? It shows us what life looks like without the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Number two, another observation. That demon brought up the only one who has power and authority over them. He said, Jesus, I recognize. You got to get this. Listen to me. The demon did not say, Muhammad, I know. You got to hear this. He did not say, Allah, I know. Buddha, I know. Shiva, I know. Jupiter, I know. These were all gods all over the world. He said, Jesus, I recognize. He was acknowledging the only one that has authority in the spirit realm to deal with them. If there's any proof that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jesus is the one and only God, it is that when the spirit realm gives an answer, they didn't name drop other religious gods. They only acknowledged the one. 
It didn't say Muhammad, Allah, Buddha, Zeus, Jupiter, Shiva. No, it said Jesus I recognize. What that demon was expressing was that there's only one name that has power and authority in this realm. As Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, for this reason, God highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, those in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you know what's amazing about this story? It says in verse 17, this event became known to all, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Why was the name of the Lord Jesus being magnified when they couldn't cast the demons out of the person? Here's why. Because the seven sons of Sceva, although they could not cast the demon out, the demon acknowledged the only one who had power and authority. Fear fell on everybody because they're like, whoa, that demon just spoke up and talked about who's the only one that has authority. And what was a game before was no longer a game because they recognized the only one. Jesus, I recognize. This might be the only time in scripture <laughs> where a demon preaches a sermon that leads people to getting saved. Jesus, I recognize, Paul, I know, but who are you? And then many people come to the Lord. Number three, this sto shows the, sto the limitations of religion. All religion can do is address prob problems, but has no power or authority to overcome them. These seven sons of Sceva thought their power flowed, listen, from repeating a principle that came out of Paul's mouth. But power in the spirit realm doesn't flow from mimicking principle. They were, as 2 Timothy 3, 5 says, they were holding to a form of godliness, but denied its power. See, these men, let me just say this, these men were made in the image of God, but they didn't have his spirit. They looked like him, but they didn't have his spirit. And as a result of not having his spirit, who Jesus had and who Paul had, all they could do was address the problem, but they had no power to overcome it. See, what that tells us is this, that we can be made in the image of God, but without the spirit, it's not enough. When that demon asked him, who do you think you are? Because I don't see the spirit on you that I see on Paul and Jesus. That was a sobering question. And what they failed to understand is that power and authority in the spirit realm do not come from repeating a principle. It comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The spirit realm does not give a crap about who you are unless you're identified with him. Doesn't care. You have no power. You are subjected to whatever they want to do. And notice that when that demon asked them, they had no response because they had no relationship with Jesus. What was the end result of the seven sons of Sceva? Verse 16, and the man in whom the evil spirit 
was leapt on them, subdued all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, this is what life looks like. You experience these challenges and obstacles and adversities in your life, and all it does is leave you naked and exposed. Lastly, what does the story reveal? Here's the encouragement. It reveals what we're not. We are not like the seven sons of Sceva because we actually have what they didn't have. We have the spirit of the Lord to be able to address those things. Remember, not by might nor by power, but by what? By his spirit. Romans 8, Paul goes on to later write this in verses 8, 9, and 11. It says, for this reason also, and are knowing all these things, Nine? Is nine on there? Is double? Okay. Nope. Okay. Romans 8, 9, and 11. Look at this. It says this in verses 9. It says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to you through his spirit that dwells in you. And it goes on to say in verse 37, if you can go there, knowing all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquering through him who loved us. I want you to hear what, what that word in the Greek means. It means to gain a surpassing victory, gain a surpassing victory, gain a surpassing victory, gain a surpassing victory. What does that mean? That means you don't win once. You're supposed to go from victory to victory to victory to victory. Now, why does it not seem like that is the reality in our lives? Because I don't think we really know who we are. I really don't think we know who we are. I think we, we just accept fate for what it is. And we fought and we've had battles and we've lost those. And those losses have caused us to believe an inferior truth about who we are in Jesus Christ. And so as a result, anytime we come up against adversity, it's like, well, I guess this is just my lot in life. I guess this is my thorn in, in my side. No, because that's what scripture tells us. That we are not people that are supposed to be victims to everything in our life. We're supposed to overwhelmingly conquer, which means we are supposed to win over and over and over and over again. If the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now lives in you, how in the world... Are we just accepting defeat all the time? There's got to get, listen, we have to get a little bit of grit and feistiness and indignancy in our spirits to say, no, I'm not just going to accept this right now. 
Is there not a cause? Listen again to what the word of the Lord was to the Zerubbabel in exile. It is not by your might, your power, but by his spirit. Here's what I find that we do. We either accept fate for what, for, we accept our experiences for what they are, or we ignore what we're even battling. All we do is focus on the natural things. But do you remember the wind and the wave story? It says the disciples were rowing, they had the oars, and they were fighting the water. And what was, what was the re reality? They were drowning, they were struggling, and they wake up Jesus and say, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Jesus gets up, does he grab an oar? He doesn't grab an oar, does he? No, what he does is he addresses the root problem behind what they were struggling with. And, and, and he, say, he curses the wind, and it says the waves die down, and they're in awe. And he looks at them, and he says, have you no faith? In other words, why did you make me do what you can do? You speak. But listen, if we just ignore that the spirit realm exists, all we're going to be doing is struggling at the oars. We're just going to be doing this over and over and over again. I'm not one of those hyper crazy charismatics that says every single thing has a spiritual root. But some of them do. And if you just accept, well, you, here's one. Well, you know, my mom and dad struggled with this or my grandparents struggled with this. And I'm sorry. Is there not a cause? Are you not a new creature in Christ Jesus? Behold, all things have passed away. All things are now new. I heard this story of Brian Johnson, a worship leader at Bethel, and I'm going to close in a minute. But I heard this story of Brian Johnson, and Brian Johnson has written so many songs about God's faithfulness. But he's also struggled with anxiety his whole life. Whole life. I've heard stories of him saying that he, couldn't, he, was, he was so riddled with anxiety that he would be up literally all night long and his dad would literally come into his room and he would be praying and just pacing all night long. And finally he got to a point where he was so overwhelmed with his anxiety and this was probably, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago that he was having a panic attack, and he called the squad and said, I got, they got to help me. They got to come get me. And his, his kids were worried about him, but I'll never forget what he said, and I love this. Before he got on the uh, ambulance, he turned to his kids, and he looked at them in the eyes, and he said, this is the moment where God becomes real. This is the moment right now in the middle of what I'm going through. This is the moment where God becomes real. Why did he say that? Because he was not going to accept the fate of his situation and circumstance. Do you know what the believer's life is supposed to be? Go down fighting. Not just accepting this fate, 
not just accepting things for, as, for however they are. You have the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead living in you. And I just going to say something, and it's because Pastor Dwight is not here. Millie is, though, so she'll probably be mad at me. But us believers have to start getting pissed about certain situations. Like, not just taking it. Because we're supposed to be victors, not victims. If we have the Holy Spirit in us, it is not by our might nor by our power, but it is by his spirit, O Lord. What mountain in your life is going to be a plain when, the, when you allow the Holy Spirit, when you partner with him and you allow the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do? Will you stand with me? Here's my question. <clears throat> I said it was a commencement speech. Nobody clapped, but that's fine. But I didn't know what that meant when I felt like the Lord put that on my heart several days ago. But then this morning, he gave me some more insight. You know, when people come to graduation, not everybody knows what they're doing after they graduate. How many of you know that you've been to a graduation and there's this pressure, especially at high school, what are your future plans? What are your future plans? What are your future plans? And, and about, I would say, 80% of the graduates are either they don't know what they're going to do or they're lying about it. And as I was thinking about this commence commencement speech, this is what I felt like the Lord uh, put on my heart. Just like at graduation, there are Christians in the room that are undecided about their future. They are undecided about whether or not they're going to walk in victory or accept fate. And the Lord said, this is a commencement speech because I want you to encourage them and to inspire them to let them know what their future holds. Your future holds victory in places you've lost. Your victory holds prophetic destiny. destiny. Your victory holds that you will no longer be addicted to that thing you've been addicted to for a long time. You will be set free. You will walk in strength, in power, and you will know where it came from. We are not those who shrink back and are victims to every single thing in our lives. We are victorious, but we are only victorious by his spirit. Because it's not by our might or our power. It is by his spirit and spirit alone. So here's my question this morning. Do you have anything in your life that you're not walking in victory in? Do you have any fate in your life that is accepting less than what Jesus purchased for you on the cross? Do you find yourself in this room not having given your life to Jesus yet. Or maybe you're in a moment in your life where you have not surrendered fully to Jesus yet. And you want to make that choice this morning. The choice stands before you. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, 
if you're in this room and you feel like you have settled, you've accepted a certain fate, mm, you're a Christian victim. You're just a victim of everything in your life. And this message was to ignite a fire underneath you to say, you're made for more. You're made for more. Enough is enough that that heart of David would rise up on the inside of you and not be satisfied with losing over and over and over again. Are you settling for something less than what Jesus has purchased for you on the cross? And is today the day where you make a decision to say, you know what? Today, it's all I have right now. I'm just surrendering my life to him. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of chasing. I'm tired of, <laughs> I'm tired of doing it with my power and my strength. I am tired of that. So if you're in the room this morning and one of those applied to you, will you just lift your hands up to the Lord? God, I just declare victory by the Holy Spirit over every single person in this room. God, I, I break off every victim mindset, every victim mentality, mm, the misery of victimhood. That just, that for some reason, if I accept this, I'll have peace. I break off the lie. That, that a victim mindset tries to tell us and tries to teach us that, that this is just the way things are. I rebuke that lie in Jesus' name. Things are not the way they are when we have the same spirit inside of us that was in you. So God, I pray that, that there would be this courage that would raise up on the inside of us, this boldness that would raise up on the inside of us, that we would begin to contend for things that we've let go of and just surrendered to the powers that be. I pray for a new spiritual authority and anointing to come upon our people to not shrink back, to not settle, but to step forward into their future, knowing what lies before them, that they will not be victims. They will be victorious because of the Spirit. It is not by our might, it is not by our power, but it is by His Spirit, says the Lord. To the Zerubbabel's in the room, what is that great mountain before you? It will become a plain. It will become a plain in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.